0: It was the biggest wrestling match in the world, with the greatest wrestler of Europe taking on the greatest wrestler of America in front of 25,000 people. But in the end, the only winners were the swindlers and the naysayers, because it was the match that killed the mostly legitimate sport of wrestling in America. Today, we talk about Frank Gotch versus George Hackenschmidt. Crazy territory stories, double crosses, and swerves. Wrestling history nerds oh my heckin heck we are back with another episode of pro wrestling history nerds my name is nick gossert i am a professional wrestling promoter a booker but more importantly for now i am a history nerd and i am here with the doctor doom to my king the conqueror it's chongo bronson man how the heck are you I am capital old chap, and
1: I too am a pro wrestling history nerd. I have my PhD in grappology. I'm a lifetime student of the game, and I am excited because we are here. The monumental rivalry, the crescendo of professional wrestling at its competition's highest point, Hack and Schmidt versus Gotch.
0: I'm excited to talk about this one. We've spent the last few episodes talking about Frank Gotch. We've talked about George Hackenschmidt. And this has all led up to the biggest legitimate pro wrestling match that ever happened. And for those of you who are new to the show, maybe go back and check those out, but you don't have to. This is a great story on its own, because what we do here at Pro Wrestling Nerds, we are just delving into the deep, deep history of grappling arts back in these days it was a legitimate sport it wasn't a work sometimes it was sometimes fights were thrown but overall it was a legitimate contest and you might be listening to these and saying hey you know what i read on wikipedia that it happened this way or i heard from my trainer that this happened this way and you know what you may be right i may be wrong we're piecing this together from oral traditions and old newspapers and we're doing the best we can to take the lore, the legend, the myth that is professional wrestling and turning it into history as best we can
1: the professional wrestling pantheon at the turn of the century is a oral tradition passed down verbal stories was the way that this was done man there was no television this was this was the way of the world at the time, and we are lucky to have the pieces of actual evidence that we do have those little bit of scraps to formulate what we do know, so that we can extrapolate and and, and put it into this format for everybody.
0: And before we get into this crazy tale of high stakes fights, I want to say thank you to everybody who's been listening who's been hitting that download button who's been hopefully been giving us five stars maybe a review here and there it's important to the algorithms so more people can hear about this show sure it feels nice for us but we just want more people to hear these stories and hopefully you do as well so thank you to everybody who's been listening and supporting
1: yes thank you thank you and Speaking for myself, I personally love it when you support us. Every time I see a new like or a follow or subscribe, you do, I get a little hit of dopamine. It's very fantastic. I appreciate every single person that supports the show. And I'm excited about, oh, the Hackenschmidt and Gotch, man. This is an epic, all-time rivalry. You talk about Rock and Austin. You talk about Hogan and Andre. None of that would have happened if it
0: was not for Gotch and Hackenschmidt. And this was a match that had been brewing for a long time. Frank Gotch loved two things, being a star and the paydays that came from being a star. And he had his sights set on Hackenschmidt for a long time. He knew this could be the biggest match in wrestling history at that point. He knew that would come with the biggest payday in wrestling at that point. And he pursued it for years before it happened. But there was plenty of drama and action leading up to that match. This match finally took place on April 3rd, 1908 in Chicago, Illinois, but there was a lot of drama leading up to this. Hackenschmidt was undefeated in his seven years as a professional wrestler. While Gotch had some blemishes on his record, but how many were legit is kind of up for debate because Gotch had no problems with throwing a match, working a match now and then to ensure a bigger match and a bigger payday down the road. Hackenschmidt, however, sharpened up with a match against journeyman Joe Rogers in London that January, beating him easily in two straight falls as he was beating everybody back in those days.
1: Yes, he was running through the competition, a proverbial virtuoso of violent brilliance. And on the other side of the water, we have, we have Gotch, who is the American, you know, epitome, the, 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 The epitome, yeah, I mean, that's it. He's the epitome of professional wrestling in America at the turn of the century. He is the man, Hackenschmidt is the foreign adversary, the only guy that is a true threat to the crown. And everyone knows that this is the match that is gonna determine who truly is the best in the world.
0: And with this much money on the line, the con men were coming out of the woodwork. The Missouri Athletic Commission thought they had secured the match, having made an offer of $10,000 to secure Hackenschmidt. Milwaukee also thought they had the match locked down by depositing $5,000 for a guarantee with Hackenschmidt. Too bad for Milwaukee promoter William Wittig. He sent the money to Charles Cochran, who had been Hack's London-based manager. Had been. Past tense. Hackenschmidt had ended their relationships months before, and Cochran was pocketing money left and right by scamming eager American promoters.
1: <laughs> Ooh, that is a dirty game, and I bet you he he kept every penny because back then I'm sure that the uh, you know the FDIC was not all that insured, as it were.
0: Yeah, I mean you're not gonna have much luck in in the early 1900s by trying to sue somebody in another country across an ocean.
1: Yeah, bring that bring that telegram with you and see how far you get. That is a rough rough scam, and I, you know it's a dirty business. That fight game.
0: Frank Gotch, who had been trying to arrange this fight for years, took this very seriously, headed up to Farmer Burns' training camp to prepare. Hackenschmidt arrived in the US that March and took part in several exhibition matches and showed off his strength to the press. As you might remember from the last episode, he was a freak of nature who would give these crazy demonstrations where he'd tie his feet together and jump over a table 50 times. He would pick up a goddamn horse. He
1: lifted a horse, man. I mean, this is this is not a feat of strength. This is a super human
0: Ability, a mutant power, as it were. Imagine being that poor horse who's just like, "What the fuck? Wife hoofs aren't on the ground. What is happening?" So Peta was probably very upset to hear that this happened. If they ever heard that this happened,
1: yeah, that would be that would be a a, a rough letter to get in front of uh, Sarah McLaughlin. You can cut that part out.
0: <laughs> cut, cut, cut. No, no. Packersmit was very motivated between the match money and his appearances, his exhibitions. He was looking to head back to London with a minimum of eleven thousand dollars in his pocket, and this is in early 1900s money. That is a gosh darn fortune today.
1: Yeah, that is a tremendous amount of money, and it you know it shows that he was really drawing as the top performer in the world at the time, man.
0: In interviews, Hackett Schmidt assured the press that this would be a square match because he would never do a worked match. He would never throw a match. As you might remember from the previous episode, he was disgusted by prearranged fake wrestling contests. To him, everything was legitimate. Everything was about the honor of being the legitimate winner in the ring. And he held true to that throughout his entire career.
1: Yeah, and I believe the people would be truly shorted on the experience if these two greats met in their prime and it was anything less than a
0: legitimate competition. He also admitted to knowing very little about Frank Gotch other than that he defeated Tom Jenkins, who Hack and Schmidt admired. Hack also admitted to having an injured knee but would have no excuses if he lost to Gotch. He didn't do a whole lot of training in the States. Maybe it was his tour schedule, maybe it was the knee injury, who can say? But when fight day came, he didn't look like the postcards. He didn't look like the uh, profile pic. I know a lot of women out there on Tinder understand how that could be. Yeah,
1: that's a r- that's rough. So, so what did we determine was the the culprit? Why was he not in game shape for this for this matchup?
0: Well, as you know, as anybody out there who power lifts can attest, it is not easy on your knees. It is oh, not yeah. easy on your joints, and a knee injury, particularly back in the early 1900s particularly as a professional athlete, was very hard to rehab.
1: Yeah, that is a a tough road to hoe, as they say, especially when you're on the competitive circuit at the highest level.
0: The title was on the line at Dexter Park Pavilion in Chicago, Illinois. Both wrestlers were seen as the best of their respective countries and generations. In later years, Hackenschmidt claimed he was ill and injured going into the match and had wrestled against doctors' orders. No one had brought this up at the time, of course. Many stories about this match changed over the years. The benefit Hackenschmidt had over Gotch was living decades longer than his American rival, and he was free to shape the narrative as he saw fit. I'm not calling him a liar exactly, but memory and bias are very malleable things.
1: Yeah, I wonder what was truly at play, because for one thing, Hackenschmidt doesn't strike me as the type to take a loss and make an excuse. I feel like if someone was worthy enough to give him a, an L, he would own that and he would respect that guy and he wouldn't he wouldn't you know pull the what the Hulkster did when he dropped the strap to take her you know and say that he injured him and kind of sour it. I think he would give the guy his proper respect and it, I, if he if he claimed injury or some other factor was a was a variable that was substantial, I, I tend to believe him. But I, it makes me sad that he would he would devalue the outcome that way
0: and one point he made that is beyond dispute is gotch being a dirty fighter he had no qualms about thumbing an eye pulling hair throwing punches on the inside and in one encounter with stanislaus zabisco he shot on his polish foe off the handshake for a quick pin that is
1: dirty pool man i've had that happen to me in an mma fight where a guy touched gloves pulled your hand down and swings at you but you know what the good thing about that is then you don't feel bad when you beat the shit
0: out of him i did the same thing to a guy at a job interview once i did not get the job so yeah if you were maybe picturing a rocky four matchup with gotch is the honorable american underdog think the fuck again
1: yes america heal life fool what you thought we're out here thumbing eyes checking checking the oil
0: gotch weighed in at 196 pounds compared to hacks 208 From the photos of the match, he did not look to be in peak physical condition. Hackenschmidt I'm talking about. However, you can't really judge a wrestler by his physique. You know, you can can come in looking light, you can come in looking with a little less uh, muscular definition, but it's all about performance, it's all about conditioning, and that doesn't necessarily translate to how you're looking on the poster. That's right, body
1: fat doesn't take cardio. You can have a little bit of body fat and still be at your optimal uh, fight output, you know? That can happen. But it, it, it is interesting that he wasn't able to go into this all-time monumental career-defining matchup at his very best.
0: In front of 6,000 people, the title match was underway. It was hardly a barn burner out of the gate, but I doubt anyone expected high-paced action between the catch champion and the Greco-Roman champion. People were used to these long, long, long matches back in those days. Gotch kept escaping the lockup as they were bowling around the ring. Gotch knew Hack was stronger, but he also knew he was quicker than the larger Russian. As mentioned, Gotch wasn't a clean fighter by any means and thumbed Hackenschmidt's eye. The crowd saw this, booed and hissed like crazy. Whenever Hack would catch Gotch in a body lock, Gotch would strike Hack with an open palm to the face, which was definitely not legal. The referee would not issue warnings, so Gotch took it up a notch and started throwing closed-fist punches from the tie-up.
1: That is that is really dirty pool, but you know what? If the, if the referee's calling that strike zone, you play ball, right? I mean, he was being allowed the opportunity to throw these dirty blows. Obviously, he was getting home cooking from the refs, but... Uh, he, his, his strategy is sound in that the Greco style versus the catch catch can style, he doesn't want Hackenschmidt to get a hold of him and bring him in sort of like an anaconda. He's trying to keep his space, keep his distance, use his speed, and hopefully set up a submission. But, I mean, that is no doubt Dirty Pool.
0: The match should have ended there if there was a competent and unbiased referee involved unfortunately for hackenschmidt the referee was ed smith the sports editor of the chicago american whose book on professional wrestling fawns over frank gotch to the point of being a love letter smith simply said wrestle on when hack complained
1: yeah that is the definition of home cooking and it's really sad that that gotch was willing to put someone that was that obviously biased in that position because it really could be seen as tainting the the spirit of the competition
0: gotch saw that hackenschmidt was wearing down and started becoming more aggressive trying to work an arm lock hack powered out of it but was clearly out of breath gotch threw another barrage of clearly thrown but still very illegal punches and practically ko'd hack and put him face down on the canvas Gotch immediately went after Hack's leg, looking to grab his infamous toehold. Hack was pleading with a referee as his face was a swollen, bloody mess. The finish of the match has been told several different ways. Did referee Ed Smith mistakenly interpret Hack's appeals for a fair match as giving up? Did he verbally submit? It depends on who told the story and what year. Either way, after seven years as the world champion, Hack had been defeated.
1: Yes, it appears that nothing is new under the sun because... You could be talking about the montreal screw job with all the variables at play between the referee and the, the title change on the leg lock and the unclear finish you know we're talking about back before there was a unified understanding that tap to submit was to tap to let go submissions were not clearly defined or understood by officials or anyone else and so for it this is the first time in all of our digs where I've heard of an official stopping a match early due to a, a submission, I think that is clearly a, a bias for for the local for the local hero.
0: And that was most likely the reason Hack did not come out for the second fall. It was a two out of three match after all, and Hack and Schmidt had been pummeled, illegally struck, thumb in the eye, and now the referee had stopped the first fall, possibly incorrectly, when he was simply saying, for the love of God, enforce the rules. Whatever the reasoning, his title was gone. Gotch was awarded the world championship.
1: Yes, and and, you know, credit to Gotch as well, because you're gonna do, you know, as, as it has been said, you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, right? We, yeah. we lie, cheat and steal to get the upper hand and he did what was in his ability to do to get the job done and he was able to get the job done. He, he, he had the home cooking, the fix was in, and but it was still a legitimate competition between those two men, but that's that shows you just how gray you can get when you talk about a work or a shoot because he had the referee in his pocket, so that was not a true on the level fight for the world title.
0: And one reason it remains mysterious is this was a story Hackenschmidt did not tell in his book. Was it too painful to revisit? Did he not want to appear a sore loser? It's impossible to say. Perhaps it was a moment in his life he never got past, even decades later. And as we pointed out, he made a promise to not make excuses. That promise was short-lived. He was quoted as saying, "'This is my first defeat as a professional, "'and I was physically unfit to wrestle. "'Mind you, I am not detracting "'from my conqueror's victory. I simply want to have the truth known. I had a heavy forfeit up and to annul the match meant thousands of dollars lost. The doctor forbade me from entering the ring, but I did it. Defeat was my reward.
1: Yes, yeah, so he he went out on his shield. There's no doubt about it. He obviously was not in his proper form for, for the competition. But you know, um, what is it with the what is it with these foreign champions getting the screw job and then just mentally breaking afterwards? That's that's really interesting.
0: And that is something, I mean, we see in sports all the time, particularly individual combat sports. One of two things happens when you lose you dig deep, you find the resolve, and you come back stronger than ever, or you simply break and they're never the same person. Um, You know, case in point, somebody like Mark Kerr, who was wrecking his way through all of the MMA world until he took his first loss. And It's like he came back a completely different person. Sure, he did come back and win that Grand Prix with pride in the year 2000, but it just seemed with every loss, he became weirder and weirder. And it just affected his mind in a way that he never recovered. Same thing with somebody like Ronda Rousey. It's like you become top of the world. Sometimes when that's pulled away from you, you just don't come back.
1: Yeah, the fight game, unlike any other professional sport, is high stakes poker, all or nothing on every single hand. There's no other sport in the world. You can't be up in a football game, 55, nothing, and lose on one play. Everything is riding on a loss. It is an entire season in one fight. And so when you are a competitor who is used to having the advantage, used to winning what we would call a front runner mentality, and you take a loss, sometimes they don't have the internal grit and fortitude to overcome those things, and we see great champions break. Time and time again, we see that happen.
0: And while Hackenschmidt was dealing with the psychological repercussions of losing his title, Gotch immediately began defending his new title, Up first was Dr. Benjamin Roller, a talented wrestler and a legitimate medical doctor. He started traveling as a wrestler so he could consult and study with medical experts around the world. A good side hustle, am I right?
1: Oh man, talk about it. Talk about the ultimate hustle. He breaks them and then he fixes them. You know, he he can create his own ringside stoppage, the doctor's decision. You know, this is a great
0: gimmick, man. Roller was six feet tall and weighed 200 pounds, and had previously faced Gotch on October 12, 1906 when they wrestled to a one-hour draw. The rematch took place on July 1st, 1909 in Seattle. In the first fall, Gotch nearly caught Roller with his famous toehold several times, but the good doctor escaped each time. Roller wore down after the constant scrambles, and Gotch eventually got the pin somewhere around the 15-minute mark. There was some controversy about the pin, with local press claiming Roller's shoulders weren't down, but he clearly wouldn't have escaped, and it was a local Seattle referee, so if it happened like that, it was most likely an honest mistake. The second fall was likewise high-paced, with Roller escaping all of Gotch's best offense, until Gotch caught him with a half-nelson and turned it into a slam that landed with Roller's shoulders down. In 25 minutes total, Gotch had gotten his first title defense out of the way.
1: Yeah, that's a tremendous maneuver if you if you visualize the half Nelson. It's almost like a rock bottom except you start with the hand a little more tucked behind the head but that is a beautiful
0: picturesque takedown. Frank Gotch went on a theater tour of England after that match. It was an easy payday and it helped boost his profile worldwide, but he did not seek to have a rematch with Hackenschmidt while in the Russian's adopted hometown. According to Gotch, Hack did not want a rematch at this point, so Gotch beat a local wrestler named George Denny instead. Hack and Schmidt spent his time off rehabbing his injured knee. He suffered from housemaidens knee, also known as prepatellar bursitis. It is caused by inflammation of a small fluid-filled sac, the bursa, in front of the kneecap. As anyone involved in wrestling and powerlifting can attest, these are not good pastimes for the body.
1: Yeah, it's extremely painful as well. It feels like you have a rock on pressing into your kneecap especially when you're you know taking a shot doing a level change attempting to take down dropping your knee down to the mat and pushing off it is tremendously painful
0: gotch returned to the states and defended his title nonstop. his fast-paced highly technical wrestling style was not only popular with the fans but also a lot easier on his body than hacks power-based strategies on April 14, 1909, World Heavyweight Wrestling Champion Frank Gotch took on Bulgarian wrestler Yusuf Mahmut in Chicago. Mahmoud was 6'1 and weighed 220 pounds with over 40 wins under his belt. He was, on paper, a legitimate threat to Gotch's reign. Gotch's number one fan, Ed Smith, was the referee for the night. But it it wouldn't have mattered who was officiating the match. Right from the start, Mahmoud tried to overpower Gotch. The champ played defense against his more powerful opponent for a few minutes before catching his legs and taking him down. It wasn't easy, but once it hit the mat, Mahmoud was immediately out of his league. The Bulgarian was wrestling barefoot, which was against catch-as-catch-can rules. But Gotch allowed it when Mahmoud offered $500 of his purse to be allowed to go barefoot. I feel like this was strategy. He was probably used to wrestling that way back in Europe. And also, it's a lot harder to be caught in a toehold if you're barefoot.
1: Exactly. If you talk about the mechanics of catching somebody, it's like if someone has an MMA glove on and you get an overhook over their arm and they pull it out, that glove acts like a backstop so they couldn't just slide their arm out the way they could if their hand didn't have anything on it. Same thing with the footwear and the leg. When he gets a hold of that ankle and he's got that cinched in, that shoe acts as an extra backstop. So it's very, very smart strategy to try to get out of that by not having to wear the shoe.
0: Yeah, if you watch competition in Pancrase where you had to wear boots, You'll see a lot more leg submissions than you do in MMA. And that's because you know a shoe doesn't get slippery the longer the fight goes on. And if you want to see how dangerous a toe hold can be wearing shoes, just like I mentioned during the Gotch episode, YouTube, Toe Hold John Lober, and you will have some nightmare fuel.
1: Yeah, definitely don't watch that, because that is leggy leggy breaky breaky wrong way. Is is something you you don't want to. You don't want to have stuck in your in your subconscious, so don't watch that video because it is a nasty thing to break somebody's leg.
0: And despite his strategy of avoiding the toe hold, Mamut didn't uh, didn't have much luck using a half Nelson and crotch hold both times. Gotch won two straight falls in under twenty minutes total.
1: Yeah, and, and talk about putting a a a bit of flair and explanation point on the on the match to to hit that half Nelson and and the crotch hold means that he basically did a high crotch where he's gonna have the half Nelson with one hand and then take the other arm from behind and shoot it right under the guy's legs and basically crotch him on your forearm and pick him up. It's very, you know, the, the sensation of being lifted that way really like makes you stiffen up and it's very embarrassing to get taken down that way
0: and you get slammed really hard and he did it to him twice so it was a proper fuck you. Yeah, there is nothing more embarrassing than being beaten the same way twice in one day.
1: Yeah, especially in a way that just makes you like lock up and look very very uh it's just it's just no fun to get picked up by your taint, man. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, in a, in a match.
0: Gotch had a much greater challenge ahead of him. In 1909, Stanislaw Zabisco came to the States to challenge for the title. While on his tour of America, where he ran through local wrestler after local wrestler, Zabisco faced Gotch at a handicap gimmick match where Gotch was required to throw him twice in an hour. And Gotch failed that test. Whether this match in Buffalo, New York was a legitimate outcome, or if Gotch knew he could build up Zabisco for a big money fight later, that's up for debate. As had been previously implied, Gosh had no issue throwing a match here and there, or at least making an opponent look better to build up a bigger match later with a bigger payday. And that would make sense in this particular
1: matchup because we're talking about the patriarch of the Zabisco wrestling family, are we not?
0: You know, he did also have a famous brother. And then we would see that Zabisco name being used by other wrestlers not related years uh, down the road because the name Zabisco meant something in wrestling. And that all started right here. Uh, tremendous.
1: Yes. Yeah, see, It all comes full circle.
0: And we're starting to see these gimmicked matches with stipulations popping up. Much like we discussed with William Muldoon, when a champ becomes too dominant, you gotta start putting a little weirdness on it, finding gimmicks, finding ways to make it interesting, because watching a person win endlessly can start to get boring.
1: Yes, Uh, Superman's plot ultimately becomes a bit predictable, right? You You have to spice it up a bit, as it were.
0: So they started building towards a rematch as Zabisco had a tough and ultimately too brutal match against Dr. Roller, which was ended by police interference with both parties starting fighting dirty after two hours. I
1: love that. I, I would love to see that finish on a run sheet sometime. <laughs> what, what's the go home? Police run in. That's That is tremendous. I want to know who booked it. Yes, yes, capital work.
0: I mean, just think about being a member of the audience when a match starts getting out of hand and the police literally swarm the ring to break it up.
1: Oh man, talk about a, a a hot ticket, man! Let's let's get that let's get pro wrestling back to that, right? Let's get some riots and some police police finishes going again.
0: The Polish wrestler got his crack at Gotch's title on June first, nineteen ten, in Chicago, of course. The agreement was an 80-20 split of the gate, benefiting the winner. This is the infamous match where the men met in the middle of the ring after the bell rang to shake hands. Zabisco put his hand out and got shot right under it for a double leg for a fast and dirty pin. Zabisco was furious, and both he and his manager protested to the referee. And while it was definitely unsportsmanlike in every conceivable way, it was after the bell. Zabisco nearly walked out right there.
1: Yeah, that is a tremendous... Tr- uh, the the level of dick move in something like this is really really it speaks volumes I'm actually surprised gosh went this far I guess he want he wanted the winner's share that night of the purse
0: zabisco having calmed down came out for the second fall refocused on his game plan of the defensive wrestling that served him well in their first encounter it only delayed the inevitable as it took gotch 27 minutes to wear him down gotch managed a single leg takedown but the powerful pole slammed him to the mat several times but never on his back at one point he picked gotch up from a turtle position and slammed him think of the core strength required to pick up a 190 pound trained wrestler like that
1: yeah that is basically you know essentially deadlifting a 200 pound wild animal against its will and slamming it back down on the ground the amount of technique and leverage and power and just ferociousness it takes to, to achieve something like that is really tremendous.
0: Unfortunate for Zabisco, he didn't have the stamina to match his strength, and he grew more and more tired until Gotch secured a slam and secured a double wrist lock, or what you would call a Kimura, asterisk. There's a possibility it was a different submission. I was reading old-time reports of this, and let's just say a sports writer in 1910, their knowledge of submission wrestling wasn't exactly perfect, so that's my interpretation of what they were describing. Gotch earned $22,000 that night, $22,000 in 1910 money is a fortune wow that is tremendous and yeah again
1: we are we are reading the proverbial tea leaves here to to decipher what this submission was typically a double wrist lock you have your grip on your opponent's wrist basically a headlock over the tricep, so that you can rotate the arm and then your second hand is gripping your own wrist and then you're basically taking their hand to the back of their head like a paintbrush it's very very painful and commonly referred to as as a double wrist lock or a top wrist lock
0: and if you want to see the type of damage that can do once again hit up youtube and type in sakuraba and henzo gracie
1: oh i thought you were gonna say uh frank mir and big, oh. big nog oh yes. god i, I forgot be, about that yes. one there are
0: many examples in the world of mma yes. of what can happen if you do not tap out to this move it is very damaging
1: yes rotational fractures are gross
0: Zabisco, despite his one sided loss, tried to get a rematch against the champion and returned to Poland when he could not. At this point, Gotch was considered essentially unbeatable. He would occasionally claim to be retiring, then change his mind. Maybe he wasn't feeling the challenge like he used to and was growing bored, but in the end, he followed his true love. Is that wrestling? I believe not. I believe it was money. Between the matches, he would do theater tours, perform exhibitions, boosting his profile to the public getting lots of press in 1911 gotch married gladys ostrich who hailed from his hometown of humboldt as the story goes she was worried about her new husband's safety and wanted him to quit wrestling if she were more of a sports fan she would know that any concerns were better aimed at her husband's opponents
1: yeah that is that is a rough one when when the wife he wants wants to bring the big dog out of the yard and get him back on the porch that's That's a tough spot to be in hopefully hopefully he was able to channel some of
0: that tension and frustration into it into his run george hackenschmidt had returned to the u.s in late 1910 seemingly recharged and refocused looking to regain his title he avoided actual competition to protect his knee and instead gave traveling exhibitions to generate interest at the same time stanislav zabisco was very unhappy with Gotch's retirement and then return. The Polish wrestler had torn through anyone who made the mistake of getting in the ring with him since his loss to Gotch. He, and much of the sporting world, saw himself as the real number one contender, and Gotch wanting Hackenschmidt and Mamut to face off for the title didn't sit well with him. He accused Gotch of retiring to avoid a rematch with him.
1: Sometimes you have these scenarios where you have a log jam at the top. Everyone has a valid claim at the, at the opportunity to fight the champion. guy A lost to guy B guy C beat guy B that type of thing and and it sounds like we have that proverbial logjam here
0: we absolutely did and Gotch's return to the ring was clearly influenced by his new wife's acceptance of the sport in an interview she said am I afraid he will get hurt in these wrestling matches well not anymore when I used to watch him at first I was but nobody knew it felt that I wouldn't be giving the impression that Frank can hold his own and that wouldn't have been fair to him And despite the nearly two-hour foul-filled stalemate without a conclusive finish in the first match, the public seemed highly interested in a rematch between Frank Gotch and George Hackenschmidt. But could a rematch live up to the hype? The short answer is no, it certainly did not. In 1911, Hackenschmidt, Yusuf Mahmoud, and Stanislav Zbysko were seen as the three equal contenders to the title held by Frank Gotch. Gotch, whose mind for the business side of things was just as sharp as his ring instincts, wanted to take some fire out of opponents by insisting they fight for the right to face him.
1: Yeah, and, and a tremendous booking idea by the champion here. You got three, three guys that could take your head off potentially. Each one of them is a viable threat on their own. The ability to get through all three is really, really slim pickings. I, I think the idea to have them fight each other and sort of weed themselves out and wear down before you ultimately have to face off against any of these worthy contenders is is wives wise gamesmanship for sure
0: however and much to Gotcha's chagrin hackenschmidt and zabisco had no interest in wrestling mamut who in addition to being a very dangerous wrestler on who in addition to being a very dangerous wrestler had no problem fighting dirty and fouling his opponents mamut's manager Antoine Pieri had also been spreading rumors about both wrestlers across Europe and it was seen as toxic to do business with. What ended up happening was a strange handicap match where Hack had to throw Zabisco twice in 90 minutes in order to earn a title shot. Both men were physically matched up well, around the same height and weight. William Muldoon visited Hack and Schmidt's training camp and was so impressed with the Russians' training, he claimed that he was the nearest thing to a perfectly built man he had ever seen.
1: Wow, that is high praise coming from the Solid Man himself. And if you haven't heard that episode, go back to listen to the two-part series premiere on the Solid Man, William Muldoon. But Chango digresses. Yeah, this is for all the marbles, and it's very interesting that they still put the Stip in there that Hack had to get twice, as two throws in 90 minutes to get the job done. That's a, that's a, that's a,
0: a tough, tough task. In addition to being physically well matched, both men were 34 when they met in New York. And against traditional logic, the poll came out aggressively as soon as the bell rang. You would think that if you have to avoid being thrown for 90 minutes, you wouldn't come out and attack so hard.
1: Yes, that's just what they would want you to think, old chap, but it also makes perfect sense strategically from the perspective that Hackenschmidt is a bull. He comes out, he runs through people in spectacular fashion. 30 seconds, two minutes, four minutes. He's expecting his opponent to take his time and sort of fight defensively. So to come out and, and run it up the middle, as they say, and, and punch the aggressive bull right in the nose, it, 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 it definitely has its merit
0: strategically. Despite both parties being very aggressive, after 90 minutes and no throws, it was declared a draw. Because of the stipulations, Zabisco should have been declared the number one contender. But this is wrestling, so of course that's not how it works. Combat sports are not and never have been a meritocracy.
1: Yeah, dun, dun, dun. He got out of that one, didn't he? That was, that was well-booked by, by old Gotch. He, he got out of Hackenschmidt, he got out of Zabisco, and he got he got out of Dodge without having to face one of these guys for now.
0: And this is something you see in combat sports all the time. It's not always the person who deserves a title shot, it's the guy who can sell the most tickets for a title shot. How many times did Chael Sonnen get a title shot off a loss? You yes. see this type of thing all the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you. Pop music sells a lot more than, uh, you know, the, the indie music or the, 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 the local band that you really believe in is never going to sell the units of, of the pop princess because, you know, not everyone can appreciate a Van Gogh. That's what it comes down to. And sometimes being marketable is more valuable than being talented.
0: So Hackenschmidt had secured his rematch against Frank Gotch. Gotch, of course, did not slow down to wait out the rematch. He took on Paul Schmidt, a South African Greco-Roman wrestler, on March 2, 1911, beating him in two straight falls in under half an hour. Hackenschmidt, on the other hand, failed to throw Iowa wrestler Jess Westergaard twice in an hour before returning to Europe to prepare for the rematch. His visit had paid dividends, and he returned to London with around $20,000.
1: Wow, and he is all fired up and motivated for this rematch. He's wanted it for a long time, and I think he's he's looking to come into this match without to, to erase the last time they met, he was not at his best. He wants to face the best at his best, and he wants to rectify that mistake because I guarantee a man like this is haunted by a loss like that
0: no doubt about it hackenschmidt soon returned to the united states and set up a training camp in chicago with dr roller and Johann koch a german wrestler as his training partners there's a legend that popped up many years later about frank gotch hiring ad centel a particularly nasty german wrestler to injure Hackenschmidt. the story gained popularity when told by ed lewis and luthes according to the story gotch paid him five thousand dollars to hurt hackenschmidt before the match Hackenschmidt had said he re-injured the knee rolling with Dr. Roller, kind of a weird irony there, and had been dealing with knee issues for years. There's no evidence Santella was even part of the training camp, and it seems highly unlikely that Gotch would part with $5,000, a huge amount of money at the time, to handicap an already injury-prone wrestler who he had already beaten once and who couldn't throw Zabisco or an unheralded Iowan wrestler in the years since their first match. Dr. Roller did show frustration with Hackenschmidt's lack of hard training in Chicago. Training camps have a certain build, and Hackenschmidt refused to go along with it, insisting on just doing light training the entire time. It kind of made me think of stories I heard, we're going to use the term allegedly, I wasn't there, uh, from people who trained with Hoist Gracie before his fight with Matt Hughes who would just wanna roll lightly with white belts and blue belts he could beat, and any time anyone gave him any trouble, he would call it a day. And we all saw how that turned out on pay-per-view.
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, there are different mindsets that go through the stages of a fighter's career. And, and, you know, whether that's, I'm at the point where I am as sharp as I am going to be, and I wanna sort of, like, save my proverbial bump card for the ring, That's a valid thing why some veterans choose to go a lot lighter in their training you see it across sport lines and football and other things that they they as they get more more mastered in the career the the physicality of the training gets gets less and less and some guys just get to the point where they're in it for the payday and at that point they don't want to work hard and and it's just about cruising and getting through it as as painlessly as possible
0: For whatever the reason, Hackenschmidt wasn't exactly working his ass off getting ready for what should have been the biggest match of his life. Meanwhile, Gotch was training like crazy at Farmer Burns' camp in Iowa, running up to 14 miles a day, and then wrestling with Burns and others in the evening. The newspapers were covering the training closely during all this. Lots of money was trading hands and betting, and the sporting world was on pins and needles waiting to see the outcome of this clash of titans.
1: Yeah, this is the peak of the sport in the era. This is, you know, Rock Austin. This is a tremendous clash of the titans and I'm really, really just baffled that that Hackenschmidt's head is not in the game here.
0: On September 4th, 1911, the time had come. Would Gotch cement himself as the all-time great? Would Hackenschmidt find redemption? In the pre-match doctor's examination, Dr. J.J. Davis said both men were in perfect condition, but was concerned about Hackenschmidt, who seemed pale and nervous. Hackenschmidt pointed out his bad knee, but the doctor couldn't find anything visibly wrong with it. Whether it was a hidden injury or just a phantom haunting Hack's mind at that point, we'll never know. Kaminsky Park was the location for the rematch, and 35,000 fans bought tickets, coming out to celebrate Labor Day with what was, at that point, the best promoted wrestling match in history.
1: 35,000. Thousand fans and we're talking about no TV promotion, no Facebook notification. This was word of mouth and printed word only
0: and we're talking We're not just talking Chicago residents coming to see a local match people caught trains from across the country to come see this match and the two men took to the ring shook hands without a dirty shoot uh, under it, and the match was set to begin. The first five minutes consisted of both men tying up and bowling each other around the ring, neither able to cane an advantage. Gotch occasionally dropped a fake a double, but Hack avoided the bait, and eventually Gotch caught Hack with a single-leg takedown that brought them to the canvas. Gotch almost immediately got hold of Hack's foot for his infamous toe hold. Hack panicked and was flailing his arms for momentum, trying to keep his shoulders off the canvas as well, and was able to escape the submission.
1: Yeah, that is a tremendously scary, it's like, it's like a ticking time bomb when someone is trying to sink in a submission, especially a leg lock, because the thing that makes a leg lock so scary is you can't visibly see what they're doing and how close they are to completion in the same way you can when those arms are up on your upper torso, those limbs where you can see and kind of see what you're doing, but when they're down at your legs, you kind of just have to go by feel, and it can be very terrifying.
0: Despite Hackenschmidt escaping the submission, Gotch continued to dominate on the mat, catching Hackenschmidt with a half Nelson and crotch hold and put Hack's shoulders on the canvas at the 14 minute mark. Hack was clearly exhausted and practically crawled back to his corner. Gotch had barely broken a sweat. During the 15-minute intermission, both Zabisco and Mama challenged the winner, whoever it would be. You probably know at this point. In the second fall, Gotch went after Hack aggressively, securing a waist hold and slammed Hack onto his hands and knees. Gotch again secured a toe hold, and Hack rolled over as an attempt to escape it. Gotch again secured a toe hold, and and Hackenschmidt rolled over to try to relieve the pressure on his ankle. Hackenschmidt, realizing he couldn't escape, said, "Please don't break my leg." Gotch replied, "What?" And Hack repeated his play, most likely wanting to avoid any controversy in the finish, much like last time. Gotch just started cranking, so Hackenschmidt laid back and let his shoulders touch the canvas to avoid any damage from the submission. The second fall, and the match was over, just at the five-minute mark.
1: Yeah, that is the the true definition of of submission he willingly put his shoulders onto the mat to 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 give yield to his opponent
0: It's one of those things I wonder, was his knee really that badly injured or was it just something psychological for him at that point, where he was looking at this knee as a weakness, it turned into kind of an escape hatch mid-match for him. Whatever the reason, the match was over and the crowd fucking hated it. The weird ending with Hackenschmidt essentially laying down stank of the worst type of fixed match to them. And the amount of money that traded hands that day was staggering. The gate was just under $100,000 alone, of which Gotch took home $21,000. Oddly, Hackenschmidt was owed nearly double that under the contract that brought him back to the United States. The promoter and the Chicago Wrestling Club was also owed a huge amount of the profit as well. Hackenschmidt later stated that he only received 13k and was robbed by the rest by promoter Jack Curley. Jack Curley put this match together. He was also Hackenschmidt's agent. And having quickly returned to Europe, Hackenschmidt wasn't able to take legal action against the crooked promoter.
1: Yeah, that is a rough, rough scam to 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 go through that match and then to be to be taken and fleeced by your own people is a really, really hard thing. And it's that that sucks, man.
0: The Chicago Wrestling Club also accused Curly of ripping them off and pocketing most of the money for himself. Gotch was disappointed in the match and the lack of actual competition from Hack. He wanted an epic battle to prove his superiority, and it trained for just that, instead of handling beating the ghost of what Hack had once been. Hackenschmidt was psychologically wrecked by this loss and how it came to pass. He sat in his dressing room and sobbed uncontrollably. His chief trainer, Dr. Benjamin Roller, refused to console him, already disgusted his lack of commitment and training for the match.
1: Yes, you know, you you see it with the the true greats sometimes cannot handle a, a... a crack in the mirror of their perfection you know look at what happened when mike tyson suffered his first loss he was broken he was never the same he was still he was still mike tyson but he was never that mike tyson
0: dr roller refused to support his fighter He was quoted in the papers as saying, A gamer man than Hack might have continued the match. There can be no doubt that he was injured. His condition now will show that. However, I have seen other wrestlers who were suffering from injuries fully as bad as that of Hack go through their match until it was no longer possible for them to continue. Wrestling fans were very disappointed. After so much hype and buildup, money on tickets and travel spent, they witnessed an anticlimactic, one sided affair with a finish that stunk of a fix. Many papers publicly wondered if it was a hippodrome and declared it a fiasco.
1: Yes, the, the proverbial work, the fix was in, and it's, you know, it's a valid question. When, when you go off of, you know, the matchup on paper, the two greatest wrestlers of their time, and you expect this epic clash of styles, and it, and it really is one-sided, not only does it feel, does it deflate the feeling of it and make it anticlimactic, but it makes you wonder why was this not, why was this competition not what it should have been? And it's easy to steer that line of thinking into, was the fixin', you know?
0: Yeah, and there's something we see time and time again in boxing, mixed martial arts. Many times when you have the two big legends finally clash Because in their prime, there's so much to protect, so much invested by so many people, that a lot of times you don't see these matches happen until they're past their prime. They're kind of on their backslide. We didn't see that amazing Chuck Liddell, Wanderlei Silva match until they were both pretty much at the end of their their roads. Not saying it was a bad fight, but it wasn't what it could have been five years previous.
1: Yeah, yeah, time and time again, whether you talk about Hogan and Flair, Whether you talk about Pacquiao Mayweather, uh, Chuck Liddell and Vanderlei, or even like uh, Fedor and Brock Lesnar, so many super fights that could have happened with two champions in their prime, and it is really hard to get all the pieces of that puzzle to fit because we see time and time again where those opportunities are missed.
0: One of the greatest tragedies of this, especially when you think about how much each man put into this fight, the expectations they had for themselves and for the match, the outrage and disappointment effectively killed professional wrestling as a legitimate big-time sport and tarnished the careers of both combatants. Much of the public rage was aimed at Jack Curley, who was Hacks' manager and the promoter of the The promoter of the event. There was a lot of money bet that night, and Curly caught the fans' ire when he didn't disclose Hackenschmidt's injury. And it was later revealed that he used his inside information, and he won $35,000 betting on Frank Gotch.
1: Never trust the damn promoter.
0: Curly was supposed to pay Hackenschmidt nearly $43,000 for the match and kept almost all of it once Hack was safely overseas, and now a dead end investment with no future in the business. Curly also received 25% of the royalties of the movie version that was screened all over the country. Sadly, no copies exist today. All in all, he made over $70,000 from this disaster of a match.
1: Yeah, and talk about balls to rip off Hackenschmidt after the biggest match of his career. After his, his send off into the sunset, the Gunslinger is no more. He's he's. He's lost his final battle against his arch rival, and you're gonna stiff him on the payout. It's a, you know, a hot dog and a handshake. That is a cold, cold booker and businessman if you ask me
0: oh curly was as dirty as they come and he continued to promote boxing and wrestling he was the promoter behind the boxing match between jack johnson and jess willard in cuba later on curly joined joe stetcher and stanislaw zabisco for one of the first major double crosses in pro wrestling in 1925 when wrestling had become pre-arranged Joe Stetcher went behind the backs of his fellow Gold Dust Trio members. Stetcher was resentful because he had not wanted to drop the belt in 1920, and fellow Gold Dust Trio member Ed Lewis beat him for real to take it off of him. He saw an opportunity to get even when Lewis and his partners put the title on Big Wayne Munn, an impressive looking former football player who had limited grappling skills to say the least. Munn was set to wrestle Zabisco in a prearranged match to make Munn look like a legit badass star. However, Curly and Stetcher paid the Polish wrestler to pursue a different outcome. Zabisco manhandled Munn over and over again until the referee, who knew the finish, had no choice but to declare Zabisco the winner and new champion. Zabisco later dropped the belt to Stetcher.
1: Talk about a double-cross, old chap. That is a tremendously played hand and and shows that revenge is best served cold. The Gold Dust Trio broke up not so, you know... No no luck in getting that band back together. I'm excited for that day.
0: And this led to a new policy in pro wrestling that lasted for decades, where a title needed to be held by a legit shooter who could be trusted with that title to keep this from ever happening again. That's why you saw people like Ed Lewis, like Lou Thez, like Harley Race, guys who could legitimately defend that belt if they needed to, if some asshole got a wild idea.
1: Yeah, you had to be able to literally defend the business. You are the champion, the number one pro wrestler in the world. You need to be able to prove that at any moment against any would-be up and coming challenger because that's the way it the way it was back then. People would, would pull a double cross if they had the opportunity to do so, if they were in there with a guy that they knew they, they could cinch up, cinch up a hold or cinch up a pin on, and and walk out of there the champion.
0: At some point, we'll definitely do a deep dive on double crosses. I always yeah. wonder when I think about those type of things, what would happen if in today's wrestling climate, if Dolph Ziggler decided to shoot on Roman Reigns and legitimately hold him down, which he could. He was an amazing amateur wrestler. What would happen if somebody just went off script, shot on whoever was holding the belt? How would that play out? Do you think that uh, you know Vince McMahon would out everything or would he just have to play along until he got the title back
1: (laughs) yeah i mean I, i suppose it depends on the intent of the shooter right if it was somebody who did it if say bobby lashley did that to make a statement and be like i'm ready to be the man maybe he would listen to that and say okay go with it you know you just showed me something but yeah a lot of times who knows how that would play out in in modern day pro wrestling politics
0: Moving on, uh, Hackenschmidt offered $5,000 for a private match against Gotch, and the champ readily agreed to that, only for the Russian grappler to back out, claiming he needed more time to heal his knee. Hackenschmidt returned to Europe, claimed he would never return to America, thus closing the door on a possible rematch ever happening. Hackenschmidt retired due to his knee injury, but stayed active and continued to be involved in fitness training. He wrote his book, How to Live in Strength and Health, and into his 80s, he could jump over a chair 50 times, bench press 150 pounds, and run seven miles. He died in 1968 at the age of 90.
1: One of the true greats in the history of professional wrestling, especially back when it was still a competitive sport. And, you know, what we have learned is that that Gotch really was Hackenschmidt's white whale. He was the John Jones to his Cormier. He he was the best in the world, except for this one man. It, and, it, and what's really sad to me is that he truly never got in there against Gotch at his very best. I would have loved to had that play out. But the reality is when you talk about two Titans meeting at their peak, the factors Involved in making a matchup like that happen, sometimes something gives away and sometimes that thing is psychological because the Russian line was never able to be his best for that
0: matchup. And Hakachimut was also a rare creature in this time in that he would never work matches. He would never do anything predetermined. He was insulted to even hear it spoken of in the sport that he loved so much. Gotch also began to wind down his wrestling career. He tore through a list of solid but unspectacular opponents, including a possibly worked match against his friend and student Jesse Westergaard. Clearly the simple life on his Iowa farm began calling his name. His final big match was against George Lurich, though who you remember from the Hackenschmidt episode. The two met in Kansas City, Missouri on April 1st, 1913. The match was lackluster with Gotch submitting him twice in a row in under an hour. Lurich returned to Russia and was swept up in the Russian Civil War, leading to his death while fleeing from the communist forces.
1: Yes, that is a a worthy footnote in the annals of pro wrestling history.
0: Gotch was paid another obscene amount of money to do a circus tour, promoted by everyone's favorite honest man, Jack Hurley. He began preparing for what could have been the match that saved legitimate pro wrestling, a title defense against Joe Stetcher. Negotiations were underway when, on July 18th, 1916, in a circus match against Bob Mangahoff, Gotch's foot was caught between two mats and his ankle was broken. Oh,
1: that's brutal, brutal he,
0: way to go. He was hospitalized for a while, it was a long road back. He healed up well enough to have a few exhibition matches, but eventually hung up his boots, saying, I have retired from the ring. I have not retired because I do not think I am capable of defeating them all, but because I do not think I am quite as good as I was, say, half a dozen years ago. I am 38 years of age, and time will tell sooner or later. I think it would be later with me, but just the same. I do not want my friends to back me with their money, believing that I am even better than I was 10 years ago. I am not better. My match with Jim Essen, champion of Scotland, staged exclusively for motion pictures will go down in history as my last match. I won, it is true, but after that match, it came to me suddenly that there was a time for all men to retire. I never dodged a match and I gave them all opportunities to win my championship title, and so my retirement will not permit, nor will it deserve criticism. The retirement was made at no small sacrifice for under an agreement with a solid company, I was to receive $85,000 for two more matches. I will not wrestle again. I have enough money. I want to stay on my farm and enjoy the company of my wife and family. He would appear now and then as a referee or special guest, but mostly a stayed home with his family.
1: Spoken like a true champion. And I think it's also really cool that he had a cinematic match as his last match. That was You know, apparently nothing in the pro wrestling business is new under the sun.
0: And again, unfortunately, there are no surviving copies of that. Maybe they'll be found at some point. Lots of old silent films get discovered in strange places. Maybe we'll luck out and that will be one of them. Sadly, his retirement was not long lasting, but not because he returned to the ring this time. In the winter of 1917, he developed uremic poisoning, which is caused by damaged kidneys leaking toxins into your bloodstream, instead of pushing them out with your piss. Classy. I say piss, not urine.
1: Yeah, that is, uh, as someone who's had, who's gone septic from a lacerated kidney injury before, I can tell you firsthand that that is a brutal way to go. That does not feel good.
0: He passed away on December 16th, 1917, after an operation failed to fix his kidneys. The once proud champion, who once could run 14 miles a day, spent his last few weeks barely able to walk across the room. He was only 39 years old at the time. With the death of Gotch, so died legitimate pro wrestling in America. Prearranged works became the standard after public trust and interest in the sport collapsed after his match with Hackenschmidt. It's odd that after decades of hippodromes in the sport, it was a real match that killed it off for good.
1: Yeah, because sometimes the, the, the ugly truth is not as attractive as people want it to be. You know, sometimes the reason a predetermined outcome is so so tried and true as a formula is because sometimes the thing that everyone wants to happen and needs to happen doesn't happen in in real sport the cinderella story does not finish the way it should because this is legitimate competition and the and the you know the 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 girl the princess doesn't always get saved the good guys doesn't always win and it it can really deflate the fan base and and the, the heart of the people
0: yep sometimes you know Truth is stranger than fiction sometimes it's more boring than fiction sometimes a lie has more truth in it than reality and that's kind of where pro wrestling started uh, going after this we started seeing more fast-paced action with more dramatic finishes because that made the crowds happier
1: yes and at the end of the day it's about it's a profession it's it's a business it's about making money drawing crowds paying audience and and building that that those established stars so that you can you can draw those crowds and then you you work in the gambling and the other things that were at play at the time but it, it made for it, for for several reasons it is logical that it would go to more of a worked premise as a sport and as a entity overall because that's where you can control the money
0: after this match wrestling had no future as a sport but it had plenty of uh, potential as show business. And that's where we're gonna leave things off for today after this amazing game-changing battle between two Titans where literally nobody won in the long run. Yes,
1: I enjoyed hacking the Schmidt with you and and we grabbed it up the gotch and took it down the middle. This was a fantastic fantastic look back at at two titans and i'm i i you know i i i listened i learned and i partied old chap and this was a capital
0: ride and i'm hoping everyone listening does the exact same thank you so much for being here with us on this journey make sure you follow us on twitter like us on facebook thank you everybody we'll be here next time listen learn and party with the pro wrestling history nerds cut prince
1: martini